Welcome back, guys, to another episode. A couple, little bit of news. Uh, we are doing this now with one of my longtime buddies from high school, Justin Gustafson. Um, decided to get, you know, with both our big sports guys and uh, just feel like it's going to be a little bit easier for you guys to um, enjoy it when there's other, when there's two people going. The, na- the name is going to be The Ball, uh, the Ball Boys Podcast. So, um, welcome guys. We're doing a, a special March Madness recording um, and some of the uh, other events going on. Going to get this one going for you guys. Crazy, crazy times right now in sports. Let me do tell you. March Madness yeah. starts. Uh, NBA is under 20. NFL is heating up. MLB is finally getting ready to get back on the field. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the MLB one. I mean, I, I was wondering if they were even going to um, have a season. I mean, I, I feel like Robert Manfred is probably the worst commissioner in the world. Um, what he did, you know, to basically make the players look like they're the reason why there wasn't going to be a season was ridiculous. Yeah, but without the players, you don't have a you don't have a sport. So it's yeah. like I don't know the, the details too much about the whole CBA thing. It's something I want to look into uh, after next week and understand more, like what all was going, like the big issues between the MLBPA and the owners and stuff, but. Overall, I am glad that they were able to put that as their differences aside and just let's just get the season going. I I totally agree. I mean, um, I think I think the they added what two more teams to the playoffs. So what is it now? Twelve teams make the make the playoffs. Um, and I mean, baseball's playoffs are so different compared to like the NFL and the NBA. Um, because I mean, a team can win 90 games, you know, and not make the playoffs. So I think adding two extra teams, uh, is a good thing. And is it, is it two teams per conference? No. So they, they expanded it from five teams per conference to six teams per conference. So I believe it's now, uh, before it was the one seed getting the bye week in the first round, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pushing it to the one and two. Uh, I'll have to double check on that, but um, I do like that they're expanding it. I I like sports when you have a bigger pool of a playoff because mm-hmm. it's just like March Madness. Anything can happen. You never know what's going to happen. And like you said, a team can win 90 games like the Mariners did last year, and they missed the playoffs. Yeah. That was, and That was probably the hottest team last year going yeah, I, right it, up to it, the playoffs. I, no, I, told, I totally agree. I think uh, I think it's good. Um, I, w- I would rather see it you know, at 14 teams. Um, just because I think, I think if you do it like the, like, like what the NFL did, right. For a long time, the NFL, um, was just the 16, you know, the, the six teams in adding that seventh team, you know, kind of solidifies what that number one team is, you know, cause giving, and I mean, even with the five teams that they had, it was still kind of that idea. I think it's, I think it matters to make, especially in baseball, to make sure, you know, what that number one seed is going to be, you know, giving them that bye week and them having the loan bye week, that's just kind of kind of what I like, which is why I really enjoyed that the NFL did. It makes that number one seed so much more uh, valuable. valuable. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And 
when you have two teams taking up that bye, it almost it, it's kind of like a knock on the first seed team. It's like they work to get to that number one seed, and now it's like they have to look across and see the two seeds now getting the bye week as well. So it's not as much of a push to get that one seed now. I, in yeah, sense. yeah, definitely. But it's it's uh, it's it all in all, it's good. Um, baseball's back. Uh, the seasons when when I'm not sure when the season starts. I know they cut a few games. Yeah, so we uh, they cut two the first two series of the season. I think it's about four games, and I think they said we're scheduled for 162 games. Um, but so so that means that that that. So they're pushing the season out then. Well, as long as we get 162 games of baseball, that's what matters. Um, now, baseball free agency is heating up. Uh, I know the Mariners are going after Chris Bryant, and I hope to God that they get him um, because they really need that third baseman and that outfield utility. Um, because right now, I mean, Toro can play third base, um, but you know he's, he's better off as a second baseman. And I don't see them moving JP over just because the thing – I feel like, you know, when you got a guy who's a, a golden glove candidate at that shortstop spot, you don't want to just, you know, move him over to the third base, you know, because I, I, I look at third base as more of a of a bat as well. And like what, like Kyle Seeger before, you know, he was never the best hitter. And I think that was his downfall. Um, had Kyle Seeger been a better bat, I think his value would have been so much higher, which is why I think now in, in, in the MLB, especially with the, them banning the shift, um, the third base needs to be a good bat. So moving JP over while he hit like 290 last year, he's not going to go out there and crank out 20-plus home runs a season. No, but towards the end of the season, he was actually starting to heat up a little bit. He was playing really well. I think it's just kind of the combination of like the the vibe that was going around Seattle. Like they were pushing for that last playoff spot, and obviously with it selling out, you want to you got high expectations. So I feel like he really stepped up to that. Um, but with Kyle going, like when he first got released, I I had heard JP talking about like the impact Kyle has had on him, just kind of mentoring him. It's like I feel like that transition wouldn't be too hard. But when you think about, like, Chris Bryant, he's 30 years old. JP's, like, what is he, about 26, 27-ish? Yeah, but, but, I mean, you got to remember, uh, age in baseball doesn't have as much of a, an effect as it does in the other sports because if you look at, like, arbitration, most and, – and minors, m- my, the minor leagues, most players don't make the pros unless you're, like, a, an, a you know, a superstar – um, until you're like 25, 26. So at most cases, the first free agent, the first free agency period that a, that a player's uh, having is that 30 year old. So I don't look at, I don't look at 30 as the same as I do in the NFL and the NBA as it is in baseball, because I consider that still prime given, you know, most players have only been in the majors for five years. Yeah. And this MLB is not a very vigorous sport. So they're not exerting a lot of like energy to like you would in basketball, you're constantly running up and down the floor. So it's like, I guess the age factor wouldn't really come in here, but if you want somebody that's athletic and stuff, I would keep 
JP now at that shortstop, and you could put Chris Bryant at the third, like you were saying, and you almost solidify your whole infield. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I mean, and who's playing? Uh, who's playing first? Who who is the first baseman for the Mariners? Uh, I want to say more. Dylan, I think it's. I thought Dylan Moore was a utility. He very well could be. Uh, God, there's Evan, that one first baseman that was hurt all last year with a hip injury. Was it Evan White? Evan White, that's who it is. Okay, yeah, that's that's who I thought you were talking about. Um, yeah, we didn't hear much about him next year. Hopefully, going into this season, something can turn around for him and just I mean, kind of be a. We also have Ty France and Luis mm-hmm. Torrens. Uh, so I think at first base they're they got good depth there. They got young guys there. So the, I'm not too worried about the the right side of the infield. The spot I'm the most worried about for the Mariners is catcher spot. I really like Cal Raleigh. Um, I really do, but I'm worried he's going to be another Zunino. Um, Cal Raleigh's got to hit the ball. He, he's got to hit the ball. The the catcher spot, you know, used to be just ninth hitter, eighth hitter, you know, eighth in the lineup, and just a great defender. But Joe Maurer changed that years ago, and then you get guys like Yadier Molina, uh, Yasmani Grandal. His Grandal, I, can't, I don't think Grandal's a, a catcher. That's my bad. Um, you know, you get you get the uh, the two brothers. God, what? I gotta I gotta check up on their names. Um, you know who I'm talking about? One one of them plays for the Cubs. Um, the you know you got to have a bat to be a catcher now, and Cal Raleigh really has to hit the ball. And I'm worried he's going to be another Zinino. Yeah, you want a difference difference maker at your catcher spot. Somebody definitely that can hit towards the end of the lineup. Um, just so when that's your second round come to the top of the lineup, you have guys, your big hitters coming through, and they see that spark coming. So mm-hmm. if you can get somebody with a good bat, that's one thing. I really agree with you on that. I do want to see Cal get after the ball. Um but if they're bringing in someone like Chris Bryant, they just brought, they brought in Adam Frazier before the the lockout. Mm-hmm. They have Kyle Lewis, who he was injury riddled last year. They have Jared Kelenic. He he was starting to click at the end of the season. They're bringing back Hanniger. I don't think that they need a big bat. So yeah, there's so, so there's some room. Yeah, just more of a serviceable guy, somebody that can get on base first, uh, just singles, doubles. Um, just somebody to get on base at the end of the lineup. So when your big batters like Bryant or Kalanick or Hanniger come up, some guys that can really get after the ball just to bring in more runs. I, I Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think the goal for Cal Raleigh is hitting 230. I think if he can hit 230 and, you know, have a, a decent OBS, um, that'll be fine. The misconception a lot about bottom of the lineup hitters is that they're bad hitters. Well, I mean it depends. I, I think I think most of the time you're hiding your bad hitters at that six seven spot. Um, six five six seven is usually you know like five is another power hitter, but can't get on base and let, he's either hitting a home run or he's striking out. That's like the five spot most of the time. Um, yeah, your DHs will typically be sitting right around there. Your four yeah, five spot. I, yeah, and I think six and sevens where you hide the sub two hundred hitters. Um, but at that eight nine spot, I mean, you think about it. 
that eight nine spot matters because your leadoff is usually a guy who's fast and is hitting you know uh above 260 so you need guys who can get on base whether it's draw walks i mean i'm not even you know even if cal raleigh if cal raleigh's obs is 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 solid you know he'll he'll do well but i think the goal for him is having a good lbs hitting at least 230 and he won't be what zunino because zunino god i don't think he crossed i don't think he crossed over the uh the joe the the mendoza line um until he got traded to tampa <laughs> so um i mean you know it it i i have hopes you know logan gilbert i think he's gonna take a step up next year um i think he looked great um, in the majors because college baseball compared to the majors is totally two different games. And um, I think with the few actual minor league games that Logan, because Logan Gilbert lit up to a baseball, double a baseball. He was undefeated triple a. He had like, he had like a, I think it was like a four. He had like a 4.0 ERA, which, you know, when you go you know the the move from double A to triple A is a giant step because triple A is a lot of times rehabbing um, is is rehabbing you know uh, pro stars or um, guys who are just on that cusp of you know being a rotational so they're still really talented so to have to go to the go to the triple A after you know dominating the two A to go to the triple A and still have you know like a like a three nine you know four ERA isn't bad for a kid, you know, for, for a rookie. So I think Logan Gilbert will take a big step next year. Also remember that uh, even before the lockout, the Mariners actually went and got Cy, one, or Cy Young winner, uh, Robbie Ray. Right, that's right. Yeah, and they also have Flexen. They have uh, they have a really good bullpen coming up. I really Flexen like looked them. awesome last year. Yeah, they got Diego Castillo. <clears throat> they got Str- Sadler. Stecken Ryder, who was doing really great. Um, but yeah, they also got Justin Dunn, Sheffield. Um, Dunn, Dunn was, Dunn's been a disappointment. Um, a really big disappointment. I think Sheffield's look good. I think, you know, Justin Dunn was a big part of that. Like, Kellenic was the package, but Justin Dunn was a big part of that Mets trade. Did we get Justin Dunn from the Mets or from the Yankees? I believe we got him from the Mets. So Justin Dun- Sheffield came from the Yankees. That's right. Um, Dunn has been a disappointment in my mind. Anytime I've seen him pitch in the majors, he just he put, hangs the ball over the plate, and you know he's gonna he's gonna strike people out, but he's also gonna give up four four hundred footers. Um, I think that Justin Dunn needs to take a step up next year if he's if he plans to be. You know, if he's going to be a, a, a starting pitcher in the MLB, you know, he's got to learn. He's He's got to be able to, to you know, be able to strike people out, be able to, you know, even if he ends up being like a, a, a play, a play pitcher, you know, ground balls, fly balls, whatever it has to be. He has to get people out. I mean, he, he doesn't. I mean, I remember, I remember there was a, there was a game last year. I can't, I don't recall who they were playing against, but he got crushed for, God, I think he gave up like it was the Dodgers. Um, He got just demolished in like the fourth inning. And I saw that multiple times throughout the season. I don't remember if I watched that Dodgers game, but I will say he's only 26 years old. He's still learning. He's still got to get that, that feel. 
and once he's comfortable, I think he can he can really turn around next year. He's going to have a lot of great pitches around him. So just being able to learn from just guys like Flexing, uh, Logan Gilbert, even though he's a little bit older than him, <laughs> Logan's a great pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. They got Marco Gonzalez. Marco, Marco should be good coming back. He looked terrible coming off of his injury, though. Yeah, it was it was a really weird season last year. I think this extra time for him to come back from the injury, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be beneficial. Uh, and he can uh, anything can happen. Right. If we're being honest, it could work out just fantastic, or it could be another down year. So yeah, I mean, I mean, what do we know? We're just college kids, right? These guys are the pros. They get paid the big bucks for this stuff. <laughs> Here we are giving our our takes on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for. That's that's what we do, though. We're just that's all like people on podcasts, sports analysis. The, all we ever do is we're making mm-hmm. assumptions, basically, on what we yeah, think is yeah. going to happen. So yeah, I don't and think I mean, it's far. I don't think it's far fetched, but. Is there people with more knowledge about stuff that's going on? Absolutely, but yeah, of course. I mean, I just I, I think it's going to be an exciting season. Um, I think that the Mariners are going to take a big step up this year and surprise a lot of people. Um, I know that ninety win last year. I didn't expect it. They were the only team with ninety wins to also be negative in the run differential um, because their defense is that good. Um, their offense just sucked. They can't hit home runs. They were beating teams, you know, two to one, you know, one to zero. But then I'd watch them get beat 14 to three. So um, it's going to be a good season. Um, in other news, the NBA, under 20 games to go. Uh, let's. I, I'm going to talk about my guy, LeBron. I know you're a big KD fan. I'm going to talk about my guy, LeBron. Um, I love LeBron James. Um, 50, 50, he's had two. That's two straight game, uh, two straight games, if I'm not mistaken, with 50, 50 plus points. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't believe they're Le- consecutive. I think uh, there was like one or two games in between the two fifty point games. Okay, well, uh, either way, at thirty. Now, I hate the talk about Michael Jordan and LeBron. I don't like comparing the two because they're two different styles of play are much different. Um, and I think that it's disrespectful to compare these eras honestly at all um like that's like compare like katie right if you took kate if you took lebron out of this era katie would be considered the goat of this era oh by a mile what by a mile yeah but you know and you know that's what i'm saying like i i hate comparing people of different eras because the play style was different lebron you know, is LeBron is literally what magic is magic with a jump shot. I mean, that's the reality of it. Like, and I hate the LeBron and Michael Jordan comparison. I've always hated it. Um, yes, the nineties were tough, but team p- players weren't skilled offensively as they are now com- in the nineties. Jordan is the closest thing to what like offensive talent is now in the nineties. And that's my take on, that's how I feel. I think you take KD, you put him in the nineties. Katie's doing what Jordan did. Jordan is great. 100% right. You know, one, 
but I think it's a tie. I think you got Jordan and LeBron because, and I, I go off of, you know, impact enti- entirely in the generation. And, you know, you can call me a fool for it, but the two eras, the impacts that they made, and yeah, LeBron has six finals losses. Look at the teams he played against. Look at the teams offensively that he played against. And look at who he had. That Warriors team is the greatest team ever. There's no way you're beating the seven foot, you know, unicorn that Kevin Durant is with the greatest shooter in NBA history with one of the greatest two ways to play in this era. And LeBron, Kyrie was young and Kevin Love was not what he was in Minnesota. So in all honesty, when he, those four straight finals that they went to against the Warriors, you know, or those are the two straight, however many they played against the Warriors, LeBron did have to put the team on his back. Um, because of who he had. I mean, you had a young Kyrie who just at that point was getting proven. So uh, to see LeBron scoring 50 points, you know, in the week at 37 just continues to show how, you know, his longevity um, rivals, you know, is by far better than anybody. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Uh, It's really hard to compare generations because when we look at the 90s, like we think of the even the late 80s, like 80s, 90s, I can, you can almost package in together. Uh, very, very physical game back then. And compared to now, it's like you're barely touching somebody and it's a foul. Back then, they they would let you beat up on each other and then you don't you get probably half the calls that you get now. Right. But also, it's really hard to really compare the generations. Like you were saying, the skill... Yes, today's players are so much are so skilled in today's, but when you think of the eighty like the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, even the two thousands, the three ball wasn't much of today's game. Right. Like the three ball was was around when Jordan and them were hooping, but it wasn't a big focal point in their offense. Just mm-hmm. because the game was so physical and they were so they, Jordan grew up watching players just go at the hoop. And now we're seeing this generation, the generation right after us, they're seeing a league with Steph Curry shooting threes from half court. So it's like everybody wants to do this. Right. So it, And even Shaq said that he doesn't like comparing players because generations of basketball have changed the game so much, which is important because you want to keep the game fresh and new. You don't want the same old, same old, or else – over time, it's just going to get boring. Right, right. Uh, right. But yeah, like LeBron scoring 56 at 37 years old, that it's impressive. Him and Jordan, two of the oldest guys to do to do that feat. LeBron's done it twice now this season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. And as we're now 20, under 20 games to the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, what I've noticed is the first half of the season, we saw the younger generation for the most part with LeBron and KD, they were all running strong and then injuries, COVID, just a number of different things were really hampering these teams. And now that we see the under 20 coming to the playoffs, it's I'm seeing a different, I guess you could say a different version of LeBron and KD. They're, they're playing at different levels because they know 
how important these last games are. They've been doing it for so well, long. One Seriously. of them, one of them is going to be in the playoffs, and the other one isn't. So, <laughs> I, both teams are fighting for. They're in the play-ins right now. With, with the way both teams have been playing, that I've seen, I imagine they're either going to stay there or they might be able to rise. Mm-hmm. The Cavaliers dropped their last two games, I believe, and the Nets won their last three. Um, Toronto, they're catching Cleveland for that six seed. Brooklyn's catching Toronto. So I think we'll see a really tight race there for that six seed when we get down to 10 games. The West, it's the West is going to be, I don't see it changing much just because of how dense it is in that tight race for the Western right. Conference. Um, it's going to be. It's going to be some of the best. Take it all. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> just Drew Eubanks is going to be the MVP. Speaking of MVP talk, um, who is your MVP right now with the uh, twenty games to go? This is this is a really tough because so many guys are really stepping up. Jokic is just playing crazy. Giannis is playing crazy. Uh, Honestly, I would say my MVP is probably Demar right now. He has Demar really, Rosen. He has been playing lights out. That Bulls he, team is zero and fourteen versus top teams. I still, I still really like them. They could be a team to watch out for in the East. They've been, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries lately. Uh, Caruso just came back. Um, I'm not sure about the Zach Levine situation. Um, if he's back or not. Uh, but once he is back, that'll help take a lot off of Demar. When the team was whole, they were able to beat a Kevin Durant and James Harden team, mm-hmm. and that te- that team that team was good. But I just the leap that. Chicago took once DeMar came to town and was slotted in with Levine and Vucevic or uh, Vucevic. I just really like and Paul. Well, Caruso came the same time as DeMar. They both came in the off season, but just the team that they have built around them. I I really like what they have. Uh. It's really hard. It's it's really hard right now to pick an MVP because there's just so many guys playing really well. Uh, I I mean I totally agree. I, the unfortunate thing is is that Demar, I don't see Demar getting the MVP just because you know it's going to probably be Jokic again. Now Jokic is is definitely deserves it for how because he without you take Jokic away from Denver there. Uh, like a 30-win team. You take DeMar away from Chicago, they win 45. I I feel without, like that is why... 40, 45 without DeMar. I think it's a possibility. I think 45-40 I think without DeMar. Jokic, you take Jokic away from Denver, they're a 30-win, maybe 25-win team. I mean... Without, Honestly, I mean, without 
MPJ and Jamal Murray, like they've been dealing with basically all season. I would agree with that with Michael Porter and uh, Jamal Murray. I think they can get to almost 40 wins as a team without Jokic. But, but Jokic, Jokic pushes them to that 60 win. No, I know. That's I was. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Because he's so unique, he can get yeah. you a triple-double almost any night. But that's the pro of that being almost basically a seven-footer at his size. It's and, it's very different because we see Joel Embiid doing it. Joel is not as – Joel is a lot faster. I think Joel is a lot more s- skilled in a sense with his jump shot, with his handling. Oh, yeah. Uh, just like his def- – like and defensively, I would take Embiid. Mm-hmm. But Jokic had – I, I always felt like Jokic is a point guard stuck in a center's body. Just by the I, way I he agree. plays. He's, he sees the court so well, and he can get his teammates open shots. And, and that's what I think pushes him over the top over Joel Embiid. Um, Joel Embiid, 100%, is the more skilled five in the NBA. Um, defensively, I mean, even scoring-wise and rebounding, I mean, but... The difference is, is that when you add playmaking to a seven foot, twenty four and twelve points per game player who then is dishing out close to ten assists a game, you kind of like overlook the defense, and because you can't get it all right. And I think it, like if you take Jokic out of the out of the picture, um, Joel Embiid wins MVP. I mean, I, my pick right now. Uh, but yeah, we'll go back to the Demar thing. Um, I think Demar is going to be. I think Demar definitely is an underrated pick, and I think he definitely deserves it. Um, but he won't get it because of who's around him. Simply, I, simply put, you couldn't. When you say that, then you have to say that about Embiid now. Hmm. Pre James Harden, I would say MVP was Embiid. Yeah, yeah, no, he, I... he was carrying. He was dragging that team, mm-hmm. but he still had. Drummond, he had Seth Curry, he had Tyrese Maxey, he had Harris. Uh, right. He had great guys around him to take a lot of the load off, but he was still putting up crazy numbers. Now he's got James Harden, and I agree with like a lot of people are saying that that, that is going to take a hit on his MVP odds because right. now he has a lot of people will say top five player, but he's, James Harden's more of a top ten player now. Right. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think... would re- I would really say it's between Jokic and Demar. Demar is, I don't know if you knew this, he is currently the most prolific mid range shooter right now. Oh yeah, he's, I mean he's got a he's got a pretty high true shooting percentage as well. He's beating out KD right now for mid range scoring. Um, I think which it's... that's pretty crazy to do because most yeah. of KD's points come from the mid range. Well, that's what but... happens when you're a light a, a lamp post. <laughs> uh. <laughs> But yeah, I just the impact Demar has put on the Bulls team for as young as they are, they're playing really high basketball. That's why I, I just I don't think a lot of people see that impact that he has put on those guys. Oh, I I believe it. I I really in the MVP voters are ridiculous. Um, not as bad as the NFL, but you know I think Demar will get some votes, but I. Which is crazy. Um, if Demar was averaging thirty three points, it it comes down to I guess you could say Demar's one dimensional 
in in terms of statistics because that's how they do this voting right because if they did it by impact i mean Giannis Jokic and uh Giannis Jokic and LeBron like impact i mean not this year but would always be at the top because that's how it is they impact you know i mean you take you take LeBron off a team they suck i mean you take Jokic i mean that's just simply how it is so if you do it by impact definitely demar does it but statistic wise demar is a decent defender but he's not going to go out there and get you two point, you know, two steals a game. He's not going to, he's going to grab like four or five boards, but he's not going to, he doesn't do any, he, he's uh, an elite scorer, but that's it. And that's, that's what holds DeMar DeRozan back from an MVP candidate because an MVP people like us are going to look at the impact and say, yeah, but people that just casually watch the NBA and see a guy you know, averaging 27, 28 a game, but, you know, five rebounds and three assists. I mean, 28 a game in the NBA is really common now. DeMar DeRozan will win an MVP in 2005, but not now. I don't think 28 is really common, as it may seem. High scoring is common, but to only do one thing hurts him. Yeah, we we only have about, I think about four guys maybe averaging more than 28 points a game. I know LeBron, KD, uh, who else? Giannis and Joel Embiid. Luca, Luca as well. So that's about five. Mm-hmm. So it takes a really gifted score to to put up twenty eight at night. So I believe it. But it's just I. I really, um, I really think that Demar definitely deserves it, but he's, you know, he's limited in what he brings to a team, which is, I mean, you, you saw it in San Antonio. Demar does really well with the Bulls, and I get the San Antonio trade was like a kick in the nuts, but I mean, his his impact in San Antonio wasn't even that. I mean, he didn't do much, and that was a young team as well. I don't so, think. I just don't think San Antonio was a good fit for DeMar's play style because you see with Toronto, it was it was way more free-flow offense up in Toronto uh, when he was there. Yeah. When he went to San Antonio, we all know Pop, he loves to run his sets. Play. Yeah, Pop's a half-court kind of dude. DeMar Rosen's like fast break, Has, right? Yeah, it's Pop's scheme. It, it's move the ball. Everybody knows. Spurs mm-hmm. offense. I don't think DeMar thrives in a situation like that. I mean, they Probably do it. Not. They do something very similar. Like they move a lot in Chicago, off but, the ball. But it's but it's Billy Donovan, so it's a little bit more fast paced, right? Yeah, and I think that's the place. And I think that's why he's playing so well right now, is mm-hmm. because he's playing in a system that he's really comfortable with, and he's got he's got really good young guys around him. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I I I I like your pick. I think it's I think it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely solid, and it definitely is deserved. My pick, you know, is going to be Jokic, of course. Um, again, his impact has a lot of what to do with it. Um, let's talk about – we're going to talk about March Madness today, but I think we might save that for the end, go go through with it. Um, you want to talk about the NFL? Man, I don't even know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Some it's, big it's, trades. Yeah, I know you talked about – the whole rust trade the other day mm-hmm. when you released the other one. I 
I'm kind of glad I wasn't on that show because I've had time to really sit here and kind of think about it. Yeah. Just kind of process everything. Yes, they did. The Seahawks did get fleeced a little bit in that trade. They definitely could have got <laughs> probably better uh, impact guys Players. in that trade. They could have probably got another first round out of Denver. At least a second. They would have easily got another second. Yeah. Because Denver, I... at that point, they were all in. They didn't care what it was going to take. They have, Their team is set to win now. The thing is, is here's my feeling on draft picks traded for all pros. And I was thinking about this today. Traded for players. I don't value draft picks as high as other people do. First round picks, yes. Because, you know, out of 32 picks, at least 20 to, you know, 18 to 20 are going to pan out in the NFL. Um, That's just a given. The reason why I don't value draft picks that much over players who already play and proven players, you know, is because you never know what what's going to how that pick's going to be. Seattle, you know, at number 9 could take Malik Willis. Like I hope they will. And he could pan out and be the greatest quarter be beat out Russell Wilson. He could also end up being Jamarcus Russell. I mean, I I think draft picks, you know, it's a common thing that you do trade for for quarterbacks. It's the same reason why I I'm completely shifted my focus on Deshaun Watson. I don't think it's smart for Seattle to turn around and pay big money to Deshaun Watson, give up all the picks that they just acquired, and then have Deshaun be Russell Wilson 2.0 when they can just draft a quarterback and build the team that way. So, yeah, I, I, I've had some time to think about Russ as well. Um, I just don't value uh, draft picks as much as I value players because you don't know what you're going to get out of that. What makes the, the picks so unique, though, is like how you – how you don't value the picks as valuable as many others do. That same idea, I think, exists in the NFL between GMs. A lot of, like, the Seahawks, everybody knows we don't draft well. So, obviously, Pete and John, they're not going to value those draft picks really as much, but they're going to use those against other teams because they can get other guys, and other teams are going to be like, wow, we're getting all this draft capital. We could build for the future. So, I don't... I I have a really weird feeling that this, as of now, it was reported this morning that Carolina and New Orleans both threw pitches at Houston. Obviously, mm-hmm. Deshaun has a no trade clause, so he has to prove where he goes. Right, and and they said that there's there's I think there's about seven eight teams that are going to be calling Houston, meeting with. And there's Deshaun. only like two that have a real shot. Yeah, Seahawks have a plethora of picks, so the package that they can put together is going to be. Just as good, maybe better, but I'd say probably just as good as any other team that's going to throw an offer out there now. Definitely better than Carolina. They give up two second-round picks for Sam Darnold. I forgot about that. Yeah, so, the, so those those yeah. those two second-round picks, those can be a hinder for Carolina. Carolina also has – they have really good young players. They could do a Christian McCaffrey as part of the deal, and that would lower the cost. I personally think Deshaun Watson only goes to Carolina to play with McCaffrey. I that's what how I feel. I don't think I don't think he would go and wave his trade clause if McCaffrey's traded. Yeah, I could see that. It's just I mean, that's a weapon gone, you know? It's like it's like if they if uh Denver had given us uh Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton, right? Like no offense, who cares? They got Albert O. But like if they gave us Jerry Judy or 
or Cortland Sutton, Russ probably wouldn't have gone to Denver. I think he still would have because just yesterday we saw Mark Cooper get traded to the Browns. That, so, that is, that's true. So when you see that, it's like there's players on the move. So even if Denver had to give up a Jerry Judy or a Cortland Sutton, even with Fant, I could have saw the Broncos maybe sending another player or two mm-hmm. and like some well actually the Browns didn't give up really anything for Mark Cooper. The problem is he has a twenty million cap hit. So I don't know if the Broncos would have the cap room to do that move. But to right. go out and find him, like a couple of receivers, they could have easily done that. Just yeah, and, role and, players to go around Judy. Cause I, I know Bron- the Broncos would have never given given up Judy. That's yeah, that's a yeah. fact. Yeah, and the they receiver would've... market this year is so heavy. I don't think it's as I don't think uh, the free yeah. agency market, the draft is loaded with speed receivers this year. So it it could be very enticing. Obviously the Broncos they don't have a draft pick to get one of those speedy guys now. Well, the second round, um well Sky Moore is gonna be a first round pick now, but the second round has a lot more fast guys than you think. Um but you yeah, remember, yeah, Denver no, I, gave I totally... Denver gave up its its second rounders. Oh, that's right. They gave up the first, the second this year, the first, the second next year. They also gave up. They a... have a second round pick at the end of the second, though. Unless they acquired in a Von trade. Miller, the Von Miller trade. That's right. Yep they got they got LA's uh, they got the sixty third pick at the end of that. Um, but again, that's going to be a third round graded player unless somebody falls. I mean, I look at the twenty five to. 32 is usually fringe first round, you know, fringe above round players. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you on, uh, you know, on that Russ thing. Um, I think it's good that they traded Russ. Um, I definitely don't think it's a rebuild. I think it's a retool because if you're rebuilding with a 70 year old coach, unless Shane Waldron, unless they're doing it to get Shane Waldron there or whoever, I really, really doubt they're going to rebuild for the next few years. They're going to spend. I know, I know you're going in on this, but I got some massive, massive breaking news. What's up? Tom Brady is back. No way. Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter breaking the news on it. He's coming back to Tampa. So Tampa's out of it for the, I, I had a fucking feeling he was coming back, dude. So, yeah, funny thing about that, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but Cristiano Ronaldo and Tom Brady were talking yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. they met up, they were talking, and uh, Ronaldo asked them about a possible return, and Brady was hesitant on it, on answering. Do you think Tampa's still a, do you think Tampa's still a contender? Um, so they franchise-tagged Chris Godwin. They're bringing back Brady. They're going to have most of the Gronk same back. players. They lost one of their uh, offensive uh, Ali Marpet. Yeah, that's he, fine. T- at number uh, Tampa's, so um, there's a guard. So Zion Johnson and Dylan Parham are both uh, first round talents that will be available when Tampa picks. So I don't see them losing anything. Yeah, I don't imagine them spending anything else on an O line in this draft. May probably another receiver or two, just in case Mike Evans or Chris Godwin goes down because they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. So they're gonna need somebody to fill that spot. They have Scotty Miller, who's He's good, but he's not Antonio Brown good. But he oh, could he could still okay. he could still sit in the slot. But I would go and get another receiver out of the draft just just so they have that depth there because that was a big issue for them when they played in 
the playoffs. Antonio mm-hmm. Brown wasn't there. Chris mm-hmm. Godwin was done for the season, so it was down to Mike Evans, and he was he was already banged up, and he was it was a matter of time. Your name, I think, is going to Tampa. Jarvis Landry. I did hear reports that the Browns are letting Landry explore options. It wouldn't surprise me. I think I think now that Tom Brady's back, he's going to Tampa. Um, I just think I think I think Tampa has. I mean, the Browns aren't going to get after that Amari Cooper trade. Browns aren't going to get shit for Jarvis Landry. I mean, Jarvis Landry and Amari Cooper are on two different levels of their talent. Jarvis Landry is good. He has the most receptions out of any uh, out of any receiver in his draft class. But I think with the trade of Amari Cooper and what Amari Cooper was picked up for, Jarvis Landry's better option is a request a release and then sign with whoever because he's going to be traded for you know, probably a fourth and a fifth and Tampa will give that up easily to bring Jar- Jarvis Landry, uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin together. That would be insane, dude. Yeah, that would, that would be able to compete with the Rams and then in the West or not in the West, but in the NFC, uh, obviously a lot of teams, you got to load up. I'm, I'm interested to see what green Bay is going to do now that they have Rogers and Adams back. He needs a second receiver. Lazard's good, but he's not, that he's not that wide receiver too that you can always rely on. Right, so right. I I do want to see what the Packers are going to do in trying to get a, a number two receiver. I could that could be a possibility if Jarvis ended up in Green Bay. They'll probably draft the guy. Uh, they'll probably draft the wor- the guy that's worse than the best receiver that's drafted behind them, like the DK Metcalf and <laughs> like that. You know. That's that's what's unique about the draft. You never know. Sometimes you're gonna hit big. Sometimes you're just gonna whiff. No, that's true. Um, do you? Yeah. So NFL wise, um, I think you know it's been crazy the Cleo Mack trade. Um, I was it, Russell Wilson's gonna be running for his life in Denver. Um, Carson Wentz. We'll touch a little bit on Carson Wentz, and we'll get into some March Madness. How about that? Does sound good? Yeah. It's it's crazy though how stacked the AFC West went. In just under a week, I know it's 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 insane. I love uh, the off season of all the sports because seeing players change teams, seeing you know who's going to be where, just blows my mind. Because there's always something every year that just shocks everybody. Like I didn't think Khalil Mack would get traded. Uh, what, I didn't and think for what he got traded for. I yeah, the Bears. I think the Bears got fleeced on that. Oh, definitely. Well, Khalil. Cleo Mack went from being they got fleeced by the Raiders and then they got fleeced by uh, the, the Chargers. Chargers and it's you know it's simply value. I mean I feel like players purposely and this might be a hot take but I feel like players you know they know they want to get out of a place but don't want the media so they'll play bad so that way their value drops and then they get traded and I feel like that's does happen. I think you'd be a fool to say it doesn't. Yeah. And some, Speaking of that, I guess, sorry, go ahead. Uh, some more news that actually I saw this earlier, but they're now confirming on it. Arizona is extending Zach Ertz to a $31.65 million contract, three-year deal. I like Zach Ertz. I think Zach Ertz is I think he was in a bad situation in Philly. I think, and I think he had a lot of high expectations. Um, he's a Cincinnati. He's from Cincinnati, or no? Is he? He's a Cincinnati guy, right? I'm pretty sure he went to Cincinnati. 
Okay, it's either him sorry. or Tyler Eifert. One of them went to Notre Dame. I think Zach Ertz is Cincinnati. I'm going to check real quick. Um, More than likely because Tyler Eifert played for Cincinnati. Cincinnati sorry, Bears. Zach Ertz is Stanford. Wow. Um, we were but, both way yeah, off in different off. realms on that one. Um, I think Zach Ertz was in a bad situation in Philly. I think the Dallas Goddard – I also feel like the Dallas Goddard draft choice of him kind of – I think it might have affected his confidence. I mean, he had, you know, been injured, and then they draft Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard has shot up as a, you know, a decent tight end. Um, I also think the change of philosophy. Nick Sirani is, you know, he's not doesn't use his tight end as much as a receiver. And whoever the who the quarterback is in Philly as well, you know, to go from Carson Wentz to then going to, you know, uh, Nick Foles, then to Jalen Hurts. I think it's just been ridiculous for him so i'm happy that he's you know getting that three-year deal um with uh at, with arizona because he deserves it now question is where Mac, max williams will go that's another tight end that i really enjoy that i think will uh do well somewhere else carson yeah. wentz man i feel bad for the guy yeah he just can't find a he just can't find a home i really I, hope I, washington I, really works out for him he's not bad but he has a lot to work on to really I, re- I read a report on him um sorry I, I i read a report that people feel like his confidence is shaken after tearing his acl and his backup leading him to the super bowl people feel like his confidence is shaken and that he just hasn't gotten back to it i mean as a person if that was to happen to you I, there's no doubt it would shake you a little bit you're like mm-hmm. damn i really wanted to do this and then the backup comes in and he does it for the team. It's like, I think Carson really wanted that moment to really tell himself that, yes, I can do this. And it, it just got really just taken out from right under him. Right. Not necessarily taken out from under him because the injury forced him out of it, but I could really see how that would have shaken his confidence, but he's now going to a commander's team. He's got, he's going to have Terry McLaurin. He's got Antonio Gibson. Who's Gibson's really good. He's got uh, Logan Thomas at tight end. Mm-hmm. He's got a really good defense, really young defense. You got Chase Young. You got Montez Sweat. You got they got guys all over the field. Hey. He's he's in a perfect situation now. Yeah. I think he's in a better situation than what he was in Philly because mm-hmm. the pieces he's gonna have now should be able to yeah. benefit him. Yes, he's losing Jonathan Taylor and getting Antonio Gibson. So that's obviously <laughs> a downgrade it, there. But I mean. How much Jonathan Taylor isn't an Alvin Kamara or C- CMC, you know John Jonathan Taylor, you know led the league in rushing this year. But the thing is, is that I don't think it's that much of a loss because Carson, you know, was handing off to Jonathan Taylor what thirty three times a game. That takes you know a lot away from your passing yards so, and your passing attempts. So I, I feel like it's more of an upgrade because it Carson had a four to one interception ratio ratio this year and while he's not mvp carson i think carson's serviceable yes he had some bonehead plays this year anybody would when they're running for their lives yeah he only had really quentin nelson to really protect him on that line yeah they have they have some other there's some other guys on that line that that are really good but yeah it's if it doesn't work out in Washington, then I, I really don't see it working out anywhere else. 
just because of how many times he's jumped around. I, I feel oh, like yeah. he's, he's got to make this opportunity work. Definitely. Or I think that this is his... Or he's going to end up like a Joe Flacco. Yeah, I think this is his last chance. Joe Flacco. That guy was, you know, the shortest prime I've ever seen. But I think Carson Wentz, this is his, you know, his last chance. And I think it's he's got to get his confidence right. I Look, these players are human. They have every right to be upset. But you get traded to Indianapolis... You're in a great situation with a great coach. He gets to, and the the thing is that to see him go, Frank Reich stuck his neck out for Carson. Oh, big time! And Carson didn't live up to his MVP that he that he was, and he's you know three years removed from his ACL injury. Look, dude, you're you want to have you want to make that big money. He could have very well stayed in Indy, and they could have done really well. I, I think, I think he's in his own head, and I hope that. Now in Washington, he will be able to get out of that because he won't have the expectations, right? In Indy, he was expected to be, you know, because he got Frank Reichs there. So all the media coverage was on him. All the all the eyes were on him. Will he be MVP Carson? I think now in Washington, he's going to be – it's like Alex Smith, right? When Alex Smith was in San Francisco, he was number one overall pick. He was great in college. He had six different offensive coordinators and three different head coaches. And Colin Kaepernick was drafted, and everybody said Alex Smith's a bust. Alex Smith's a bust. Gets sent to Kansas City, and he played you know, great in Kansas City. Plays great, and then he goes to Washington. Plays great there too. I think Carson very well. I think that he could resurrect his career there, and I think he'll be serviceable. I don't think he's MVP Carson anymore, but I definitely think that he'll be serviceable and definitely a bridge quarterback for teams. Um, which sucks because you know he's. I think he's 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 in his thirties now. I would assume. Being a bridge quarterback at 30 kind of sucks, but I think that that's what I would do if I was Carson, you know? Yeah, I think the big issue actually in Indianapolis was towards the end of, not last season, but the season before Jonathan Taylor's, Jonathan Taylor's rookie year, he was really coming alive at the end of the season. And then come this next season, they really wanted to focus the season around Jonathan Taylor because they thought they would. Well, not that they thought. They still think that they have something special in Jonathan Taylor. So I think Mm -hmm. they wanted to predicate the offense more around him and then use Carson Wentz and Michael Pittman or uh, T.Y. Hilton as more of your, like, we need a quick first down, let's just go get it. And then very similar to how the Seahawks run their offense is kind of how I was seeing uh, Indianapolis run theirs or even, like, Tennessee. It's it's very run-centered. So, so Carson can't really show what he he can do, right? But when they're down big, they're like, "We have to pass the ball. Can you bail us out?" It's it reminds me of the Seahawks situation. Mm-hmm. So I now being in Washington, it, there's nothing really to say. It's take your shot, and you better hope you make it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, March Madness. March Madness, let's get into it. The brackets are finished. Uh, you know, I want to talk about, so I want to talk about what I just saw. Michigan State is a seven seed at 15 and 12. I hate power five bias. Now, I think, I think I used to, I used to be a Michigan State. Like I used to always pick them. You know, I think the Izzo era is over in, in March Madness, but 
they're 15 and 12, and they have a seven seed. Yeah, that's. I really don't like that. If you're going to give a team that's 15 and 12 a seven seed, you got to look at a team like UW, even though they didn't win their tournament. They Colorado. Some of these teams are having similar records, if not better records than them. Yeah, I don't think Colorado made it, and they made it to the semifinal in the Pac-12, which is a power five, but they gave it to Michigan State at 15 and 12, a seven seed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bias you can tell. Obviously, your strength of schedule is going to play a big factor in your selection. Yeah, and the Big Twelve was really, Big Ten was really good. But if you're gonna, if you're sitting at just over five hundred, I don't think that necessarily gives you that seed right there. That unless you win your tournament. Yeah, if you win the tournament at fifteen and twelve, absolutely, I can understand a seven seed because you play in a really tough conference and you manage to come out of that. Right. But if you're gonna do that for Michigan, you have to look at every other team in the, the country who is at fifteen and twelve or better, and you have to immediately consider them. Yeah, definitely. It. I just I cannot. I. Uh, ah, that just boggled my mind. Um, how do you feel about the one seeds? So GU is the number one seed, number national number one seed, uh, for the second time in, um, school history. The last time they were the number one seed. Nationally, they lost to Wichita State in the round of 32. Um, got smoked by that Fred Van Fleet and Ron Baker team. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, this... Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona, and Kansas, right? Yeah, I don't think they could have gone really wrong with these number ones. Mm-hmm. Most of these four teams have really been pretty consistent across the season. Obviously, Gonzaga and Baylor, the, Baylor being the defending champ, Gonzaga the runner-up. And then you have teams like Arizona, who's now coming back into the picture. You have Kansas, who had a, had some down years, but they're back. Um, this was a really crazy year, too. Team, it just upsets all over the board. No teams over 30 wins, I believe. Yeah. So it's... Well, I mean, if you're at 30 wins right now, you would be cons- you'd be working for the perfect season. Right, so, right. I do like that it's significantly more competitive now in the NCAA. It's it's just going to be better for the NCAA overall now that teams are getting better, and it's not the same Duke every year, not the same Kentucky, Kansas. Uh, Teams that have always been there. It's we're seeing new teams. We're seeing Loyola Chicago popping up. We're seeing uh, Cinderella stories almost being formed. And I feel like this year, if a Cinderella story was to happen, this is the perfect year to happen. I don't, I don't know how else it couldn't. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree with you. I uh, I think that. This year has been crazy in terms of like upsets, and um, I think the number one seeds are obvious. Uh, Gonzaga, you know, and I know I'm a biased Gonzaga fan, but I mean, even when they played the Power Five teams, I mean, they looked the only team. I mean, yeah, Alabama beat them. They got beat by Alabama. They outplayed them, but you know, they kept up with Duke, who's got you know two of the top ten play. I mean, Wendell Moore Jr. and Halo Benchero. I mean. 
those are teams, you know, and other teams beat Duke. But when you think about a mid-major, you know, people talk about GU, oh, they can't compete. Well, you know, if Duke played other WCC teams, they'd probably walk the floor with them. So, um, you know, I love, I am glad Gonzaga's, you know, finally getting the, the rep. And Arizona, Tommy Lloyd became the first coach um, since, I think, 1995 to uh, make it to as a number one seed um, with his first year on the team. And Tommy Lloyd was Mark Few's uh, head assistant for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, let's, since we're on March Madness, let's, let's take a step back and let's tell me what your predictions are are going to be out of the West. So we got, in the West, we got Thursday's slate of games. We got Gonzaga versus Georgia State, Boise State okay. versus Memphis, UConn okay. versus New Mexico State, and okay. Arkansas versus Vermont. Okay, so I'm going, obviously, Gonzaga over Georgia State. I don't think there's any – I'm obviously Gonzaga over Georgia State. I don't think I have to explain myself on that. Uh, I'm going Memphis over Boise State. Um, yeah, that, Memphis, that, that Penny Hardaway team, that's, yeah. good, that's a good team. You know, Boise State looked good in their tournament, but I don't think – I think that Memphis is miles ahead um, of Boise State. So I'm going Memphis. Uh, UConn over New Mexico State. UConn's looked awesome in the tournament. Um, they lost to Creighton, but I think that they have a chance to make a run this year. Um, but this bracket's going to be tough, so I'm going UConn over New Mexico State. And then I'm picking Vermont. So I picked Vermont last year, and they won. I think, or not last year, but the year before that. the The last time there was a full tournament, I picked Vermont. I'm picking Vermont over Arkansas. Um, I know they haven't played any top twenty five teams, and they got a ninety seven PPI. It's these high seventy three points per game, sixty three point four. I know Arkansas scoring a lot. It's going to be a high scoring game, but I feel after you know, I watched I watched Vermont in the tournament. And they play good basketball. They um, they hit from deep very often, and their defense is pretty solid. Um, and Arkansas gives up a lot of points. I mean, at seventy, it's at like seven seventy one points per game. That's a lot of points to give up, especially to a high scoring team like Vermont. So um, I'm picking them as my big upset in that the 13th seed over the four seed. I don't know if I could take. That's the one I'm going to disagree with you on. I okay. really, Arkansas, this team, they played a lot of really good teams this year. A lot of really good teams. Like, these past couple weeks they've played Texas A&M. They lost that game, 64-82. But they beat LSU 79-67. LSU's been kind of nowhere, really. They also beat, they lost to Tennessee 74-78. They beat Kentucky 75-73, they've beaten Tennessee, 58-48, they've beaten Auburn, they've beaten West Virginia, they've beaten South Carolina, Just, they've beaten a lot of good teams. I I don't see them falling to Vermont, but when they okay. get to that second round against a UConn team, I think that's where that they could fall. So you think, you think that, you know, round of 32 could very well be uh... – where they end up, where they where their season ends. Yeah, I don't know if they have the legs to go 
the distance. It's, but that's March Madness. Gonzaga right, might not right. even have the legs to do it. It's, but yeah. I also watched a game or two of Arkansas this year. They played really, really well this mm-hmm. season. So I will, I would definitely take them in that first round. But okay. getting out of that second round, it's gonna be it's gonna be a climb for Arkansas starting that second round because the, they got to play UConn in the round of thirty two, and then right after that, if they win that, they got to play Gonzaga. More than yeah, likely, it's gonna, be... it's gonna be Gonzaga or Memphis. If Gonzaga loses early, it's gonna be the Memphis. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I I still am gonna stick with my pick though. Um, I just have a feeling on it. Um, I gotta go. So now into the bottom half of that bracket. So we got Alabama versus a, so Rutgers and Notre Dame are playing in a first four, um, which they will be playing on Tuesday. Um, Rutgers, Notre Dame, Rutgers has been very surprising this year um, in the big 10. They surprise a lot of people, especially in the tournament. Um, Alabama is very, so Alabama, and then you got Texas tech, Montana state, Montana state uh, kid that we played against in high school, Raekwon battle, Washington transfer. He's scoring like crazy there. Um, then you got seven seed of Michigan versus Davidson and uh, two seed of Duke versus California State uh, Fullerton at the 15 seed. So, what are your picks for that? Alabama's their record doesn't tell how good of a team they actually are. Uh-huh. Alabama has beaten Gonzaga. So, Hi. I don't know if you, m- you remember that, but I watched that oh, game. I do. I do. That was a tough game. That was a really good game, though. Uh, I'll take Alabama out of that first round. No problem. I had to drink a lot during that game. <laughs> uh, Texas Tech, that's a lock. Texas Tech's been playing really well all season. Michigan State, Davidson. I might take Davidson here. Davidson, that's what I did. Davidson, it's, it, they're jumpy in the when they're in the tournament. So I wasn't impressed with Michigan State this year, really, especially not in the championship. I felt that they could have, they definitely could have won their championship, but they just they let it go. And then obviously you take Duke there against Cal State Fullerton. I don't see Coach K going out on a first round exit like that. Oh, I understand. I agree. I agree. I got a. I pretty. I have it. I agree with you on everything. I think. Um, I don't think there's any of those that bottom. Any of them could lose to those teams besides Davidson. I think I'm. I the Michigan State is very lose happy in the tournament. Um, yeah. so I definitely picked Davidson as well. Um, do you want to go into the round of 32 on that bracket or do you want to go into the next, uh, next region first? Let's just do regions. I don't want to get into round of 32s until we see the first, so, first round of things, see how teams are actually playing. And then once, okay. once round of 32 starts, if we drop another episode around there, we can just, we can go all in on right there. Sounds good to me. Let's, okay. Do we want to do go this? Ahead. Do we want to do the south? Do do... Let's do the east. Let's just go. Let's yeah. Okay. Let's do the east. So in the east, we got Baylor and Norfolk State. We got North Carolina and Marquette. St. Mary's and Wyatt, or St. Mary's will play either Wyoming or Indiana. And then you have UCLA Akron. Well, I got Baylor over Norfolk State. I don't think there's going to be a 16 seed. I think UCLA. I think that there's that's a one time thing. Um, I don't, Baylor, of course. I'm going UNC over Marquette. Um, I don't think I've ever picked Marquette in a bracket. I I didn't see much of Marquette this year, but UNC's play against uh, that last game of the season against Duke, um, they did get beaten the tourney, but 
I, I, I like North Carolina here at this eight seed. I think it's a perfect spot for them. Not too much of an expectation. Um, and not, you know, not too high, not too low. Um, at number five, I'm picking St. Mary's. St. Mary's beat GU. I mean, I think St. Mary's has a chance to make a run this year. Um, as a, as a mid-major school, they could very well be a Cinderella team. Their bracket is very tough. Um, UCLA will be a tough matchup in round two in round of 32, which makes me, you know, which goes into my next pick UCLA over Akron. Number 11, Virginia tech is going to beat Texas, Texas. Uh, just like the football team, they are not, um, back. So Virginia tech, that, that ACC championship, uh, put me onto them. I think that they are hot, and I think they have a chance to go on a big run against Texas and uh, have a big chance to go on a run in this bracket. So Virginia Tech over – oh, oops, sorry. I went into it a little bit too far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we have – those are my picks. So St. Mary's, North Carolina, Baylor, UCLA. And in the bottom half of the bracket, we have Texas, Virginia Tech, Purdue and Yale, uh, Murray State, San Francisco, Kentucky, and St. Peter's. This is good. this one could be I think this this sort of the the bracket section I think this could be a bracket buster for a lot of people uh, a lot of people are gonna probably put their money on Texas I Virginia Tech beat Duke in the championship they're right they're riding really hot right now I wouldn't bet against them but I wouldn't be surprised if Texas wins the game but I I would probably feel safer going with Virginia Tech there. Purdue, Yale, Purdue, it's not even a question there. Purdue, I watched uh, who they play. It was Purdue and the game that they just played last night. Uh, God, who did they play? Who did they play? Uh, Yale, Princeton. No. Sorry, what were you saying? I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, uh here, let me, yeah, let me, I'll pull it up. Right Purdue here. played Iowa. No, they played Michigan State last night. Oh, okay. <laughs> I watched that game. Uh, it's a little off topic, but when I was watching the game, um, God, dude, Jaden Ivy, the point guard for Purdue, he, he really reminds me of John Morant when he was with Marquette. Really? I see a lot of the similar game, just the balance that he has athleticism and it, it's kind of funny but he also like from a distance he can look like jaw mm-hmm. jaw does yeah. have jaw does have those blonde, blonde highlights in his hair but um when i was just kind of watching the i was like i do i see a lot of jaw in his game so if that does come for come to fruition that would be nice to see another jaw type player coming up and talk- coming into the league are you talking about murray state no, Purdue. Purdue. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember I remember the year Yale won, but I agree with that pick. I agree with Purdue. I also picked them. Yeah. Murray State, San Francisco. This one, it, it's kind of a toss up. I don't, I haven't seen any Murray State games. They're 30 and 2. So I guess there is a team over 30 wins. I just completely missed this one. The, I think the record might be a little misleading. San Francisco's a really good team. Plays against Gonzaga twice a year. They're Khalil always Shabazz is a beast. Yeah, Khalil, Seattle guy. Uh, he's been balling out for San Francisco. Um, 
I'd be safer taking San Francisco in that situation just because they have that experience playing against Gonzaga. They know what it's going to take to get to the the big dance. And then Kentucky-St. Peter's. It would be safe to go with Kentucky here, no doubt. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see an upset here just because the consistency each year. We're seeing a one or two seed get knocked out by a 15 or 16 in that first round. And I got a I got a story for you in the next one. You're gonna you're gonna laugh the next one. I agree. I I've got yeah, I've got San Francisco, I've got Kentucky as well. I agree with those picks. So let's go into the South. We have Arizona, the winner of Wright, Wright State and Bryant, Seton Hall, TCU, Houston, UAB, Illinois and Chattanooga. Guess who I'm I'm picking if it's Bryant, and I'm only doing this because of Peter Kiss. Um, I'm picking Brian over Arizona. I know Arizona's going to win this game, but I love, I think his name's Peter Kiss. I love him. He, he's the leading scorer in the NCAA with like 25.8 a game. He is just, he's going to, he's going to get in the heads of Arizona. So I'm picking a 16 seed. I think, I think Bryant, uh, is going to beat Arizona. If it's them, if it's not Bryant, then I will pick Arizona. Um, I'm going TCU over Seton Hall. Their run in the big 12, uh, was great. Um, I think Seton Hall, I think the, I think Seton Hall is another one of those teams, just like Marquette, they're either really good or they're really bad in the tournament. And I think because they're so shaky, I always pick them to lose. Um, that's just how it is. I don't think I've seen a Seton Hall team or a Marquette team make a run in a long time. So I'm going to TCU. I think that their run in the big 12 conference is, uh, gonna, gonna help them a lot. I'm going to Houston over UAB. Um, I don't think this is the same UAB team that it was uh, a couple of years ago. Obviously not. Um, and Houston uh, looks has looked solid this season. And then Chattanooga over Illinois. I think Chattanooga, another 13 seed. I think this is a year of two. Uh, Illinois lost their very first game in the Big Ten Conference Championship. And I think that they're going to be shaken up. And I think that when you do that, you know, when you, when you can't even win one game in your conference tourney, you aren't going to be able to do it in the big dance because everything is right. The regular season is a regular season, but if you can't win your conference tourney or you can't win a game in it, I don't, I don't plan to pick you far. So I'm picking Chattanooga 74, 75 points per game, you know, 65 points per game given up. They also have a 63 BPI. They're all around, you know, they lost to Murray state by 11 VCU, VCU by two and, and uh, lost to Belmont by eight. So, um, I, I have Chattanooga in that game. Um, this is really tough. I do I do think Seton Hall is going to take that TCU game. Seton Hall, they, they, they play a lot of great teams. Uh, they usually make it out of that first round. They're usually a second-round exit in the dance. So I'll still ride with Seton Hall on that one. Houston, a UAB. There's no question about that one. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think Chattanooga has what it. I don't think they're going to really be able to put it to Illinois. Yeah, they did lose the first round of their conference championship, but they already knew going in. They they were locked into the dance regardless of the outcome. So I think mm-hmm. I think the loss for Illinois is going to be more beneficial. Than a lot of people are going to think because they're going to be like, okay, 
this is the step back we need and that we can only right. take at this moment because now mm-hmm. it's winner go home. Right. So I think they're going to have that extra chip on their shoulder now that they're coming off that loss. They're going to be like, it's it's now or never. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I mean, I understand. Yeah, I don't see Bryant, even if Arizona plays Bryant, I don't see them being able to, to beat Arizona. But it, it very well could be the upset that we're looking for. Hmm, definitely. I'm, I'm expecting an upset. Uh, what are the next matchups? Uh, so we got Colorado State and Michigan. We have Tennessee, Longwood, Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago, and Villanova, Delaware. I got, I got, uh, oh wait, you go, ne- you go first. I went first last time. <laughs> uh, first matchup, I'm going to take Michigan. I, Colorado State's played really well this year, but what? I, I trust Michigan more. They've been to the dance very consistently. So it's, I'll ride. Actually, let me take that back. I'm going to go with Colorado State here because I, I just remembered they lost Jawan Howard for the season, so he can't. He's no longer coaching, and that I can see how that's played a big role in their season turn, like just kind of falling. So I will take Colorado State there. Thinking about that now, Colorado State also beat Biggie's champion Creighton by fourteen, beat St. Mary's by sixteen, beat beat MWC champion Boise State twice and split the season series against Wyoming, and Michigan's been blown out by just about everybody that they've lost to. Um, that's been a notable team, so that's why I picked Colorado State. Yeah. Um, between Tennessee and Longwood, Tennessee should be able to take care of business there. <laughs> I, Longwood, Longwood lost by 33 to Iowa. Yeah, that's why I, I feel Tennessee, that they should have no problem getting it done in the first round. This next game, Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago. I've taken Loyola, Chicago. I've never, yes. I'm never betting against Loyola, Chicago again unless I know for a fact they can't make it out of that. that Remember, round. the last time they were a double-digit seed, they went to the Final Four. So that's that's yeah. why I'm very nervous. Sister Jean's yeah. Sister Jean's gonna be present. Everything's yeah. gonna be rocking and rolling for Loyola. So I really think they'll be able to take it to Ohio State, no problem. Uh, the second round, they'd have to play Villanova, who I'm taking in that final matchup. Uh, they'll they'll take care of Delaware, no problem. But I think Loyola Chicago, if they get past Ohio, I think they have a real shot at actually upsetting Villanova as well. I I would agree with that. I think I think Loyola Chicago uh, is going to definitely surprise a lot of teams again. I think they're moving to the uh, Americans, so they're going to be in a more of a, a better conference um they're in the a10 right now or the i think they're in the mvc or something like that um they're gonna move on from that uh but i agree with that um i also got villanova as well uh in the midwest our final bracket all um before we finish out guys i just want to say again thank you for listening um we did change the name to the ball boys podcast my buddy justin here will be with us for the rest of the time we record these um thank you again for listening guys and on to the Midwest. Kansas, and then the winner of Texas Southern, and I think it's uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. So the winner of the play-in game for Texas Southern and uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, 
um, takes on Kansas, San Diego State, Creighton, Iowa, Richmond, and Providence, South Dakota State. Kansas, obviously, I don't think that there's going to be any 16 seeds besides Bryant beating them, um, beating anybody. Uh, I have Creighton over San Diego State. Um, San Diego State looked awful against Boise State, lost three times, and Creighton has looked on fire this year. Uh, you got to, you got to, you, you cannot, you can't doubt Greg McDermott. Um, if Creighton has talent and has shooters, Creighton's going to make a run. I, I have Creighton as a Sweet 16 team this year, so I'm going Creighton over San Diego State. Nine seeds, a perfect spot for them. Um, at number five, Iowa, they've got the bet, they've got the the fifth all time in three points made. Um, Bohannon, and then uh, number four, and then I have Providence uh, beating South Dakota State. Uh, yeah, I don't really disagree with you on really anything there. Um, I really agree with you on Creighton, though. Uh, Creighton was Creighton and Providence actually met the other night or a couple nights ago in their uh, conference championship, and Creighton absolutely lit up Providence. They beat, oh, yeah. They, yeah. they beat them by almost 30. Yeah, so, I know. I was watching. <laughs> so... I really feel this year could be a year for a Creighton run. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much that shook Providence. That could lead to them to be in the first round bounce right. after that blowout loss. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that first round between Providence and South Dakota State. But every are other pick, Providence. I'm... What was that? Are you are you picking Providence? Ooh. South Dakota State scoring eighty points a game. That's I made. That's what I'm leaning I, very, very much. Eight, South Dakota 80. State. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards South Dakota State as well. It, I'm going to change my pick. Yeah, I think that, eighty points a game is too much. If you're getting blown out by Creighton, you're getting blown out by South Dakota State. I don't necessarily think it'll be a blowout. Obviously, most a lot of these games are going to be under five points, under ten point games from here on out, mm-hmm. just because it's a winner go home at this point. So everybody's putting their bodies on the line just to keep going. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, St. or Kansas, Creighton, Iowa, and I'll probably take South Dakota state on that one. All right. And then our last half, we got LSU, Iowa state, Wisconsin, Colgate, USC, Miami, and Auburn, Jacksonville state. So I'm going Iowa state. I, you can't count out Iowa state. They're not a first run exit team and LSU looked bad in the SEC tournament. Um, I'm surprised they ended up with a six seed. Um, and they just fired their head coach. So um, I'm picking Iowa State in this one. Can't count them out. They're always good, always competitive every year. They had a down year this year, but I expect to see them uh, compete and get back up to another, you know, another four seed next year. Um, I'm picking Wisconsin. They were the regular season uh, tied with – they were the regular season um, champs in Big Ten – and they're taking on a Colgate team that I think is super, super outmatched. I think it's an obvious pick there. Um, I'm going USC over Miami. Um, USC looked really good this year. Um, and they – USC looked awesome this year, especially in the Pac-12, um, against a lot of those high-scoring teams. And they looked really good against UCLA, even though UCLA was out there and was uh, giving them a run for their money. So uh, USC over Miami. I'm picking Jacksonville State over Auburn. Now, listen to me why I'm saying this. Jacksonville State is, is I think, number two in the nation in three-point shooting. Um, 
they are shooting every one of their guards shoots 38% from three and Auburn this year has given up a lot of points on defense. Um, an insane amount. And the games that they've lost, they've lost by the three-point ball. Um, I think that Jacksonville State is going to be that 15 seed this year. That surprises a lot of people. And I always pick teams that efficiently shoot from the outside because in today's game, that's how you win games. I mean, it's obvious. If When I see a team that scores a lot of points and they shoot efficiently from the outside. Um, now, I know it can be volatile, but, you know, the – the efficiency that they have, I think, is enough to beat an Auburn team. Um, that's They're long and they're fast, but you can beat long and fast if you keep hitting threes. So I'm going Jacksonville State over Auburn, uh, 15 over number two. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, this one, this one could, this bracket could be another bracket buster down here. Uh, this way, there's a lot of games I can go either way. I'll take Iowa State over LSU there. I have more confidence in Iowa than LSU right now. They don't have Cam Thomas anymore. He's with Brooklyn now. He was last year's uh, nation's leading scorer. So that's a big void to fill for a team and to jump back in and make a run at the dance. Uh, But, yeah, I'll take Iowa State there. Wisconsin-Colgate, that game can honestly go either way. I'm not very much what? impressed with Wisconsin as much people Colgate's are. Colgate's averaging 76 a game. I think that that game could be a, come down to a last second shot. Um, if I have to, if I have to pick a team, I would pick Wisconsin on that one. Okay. Uh, USC Miami USC, I believe they're the tallest team in the the country. They should be. Yeah, I would. If the, if you if you have the reputation as the biggest team in the league, you got, you got to dominate teams. With that size. Huh. Um, yeah. I'll take USC there. And then I I can't bet against Auburn this early. They play, okay. they play a lot of competitive teams. So I think that, I, 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 I agree. That's fine. As good that as, is fine. As good as Jackson's, Jacksonville State is at their three-point shooting, I don't know that they've played a defensive team like an Auburn or – like a uh, or like a Baylor or yeah. just teams known for defense. I don't feel like they played enough teams to really get a good sample size of how good they actually are mm-hmm. at shooting threes against teams. Oh, so I understand it could be reached, but for all we know, that could be the dagger against Auburn as they just torch them with threes. I definitely yeah I I I see what you mean. I'm Mister Upset and Bracket Buster guy though. Um, perfect. Well, March Madness is starting. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, guys, I, we have hit our time. We're a little bit over our time, but that's fine. Cause it's a special edition. Um, guys, we won't be recording until the, uh, the last week of March will be the, when I'm back in town and I'm able to record again. Um, once again, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy your day and we have time. Justin, thanks for doing this with me. I'm going to look forward to more podcasts with you. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing me on. This is something I've always wanted to do. So now that I have the chance just to talk sports and all that stuff, it's something fresh and new. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, this has been the 
Ball Boys podcast with your hosts Taylor and Justin. I'm Taylor. I'm Justin. And we will see you guys later.